On the show today, digital writing class, introduction to linear adventuring, and remedial goal setting in 3, 2, 1... Alex, are you all ready for class? I I am not. I didn't like school. You didn't. Wait, I didn't mind school, but you know, I mean, I would like to skip this class. I'll see you later. Oh, oh darn. Wait. Okay, oh. I came back to class. Oh, okay, good. I was worried there for a minute. You're not gonna get credits for this if you just walk away. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. On this episode, though, we are going to be talking a little bit about some basic design stuff, a little 101 time. Uh, but before we get into that, hey, welcome to Total Pebble Knockdown, everybody. I will be uh, one of your assistant teachers, your your, your TAs. I, I think Nathan teacher would be an egregious term to use for us. What are we? We're the ones taking notes in the back of the room. Uh, um, monitors, right? I've got my head down napping on the desk while you take notes, apparently. Oh, perfect. Well, <laughs> I, I learned through osmosis. <laughs> school all over again. Anyway, I'm your uh, official note taker, Nathan. And I am sleeping right now. And I'm Alex. Perfect. I wanted to go over some uh, basic game mechanics tips for folks. And I came across an article that is from the one and only Will Wright. Have you ever Uh, heard of him? Of former Maxis fame, I assume? Yes. uh, Creator of The Sims? The Sims. SimCity and uh, pretty much anything that had Sim in front of it, he probably had a hand in. Uh, Sim Ant, my favorite. Yeah, remember Sim Ant? Great, good times. Uh, But anyway, yes, that will rate. Uh, He uh, did a masterclass, which was about game design and game mechanics. And uh, he, very helpfully, in an article, wrote about five tips uh, for writing game mechanics. And I thought that we would just look at those five and see if there are any good advice I mean, it's sure. It's Will Wright, so I'm going to assume that they must have worked okay for him. Uh, Maybe. What's he doing these days? Um, chilling. Chilling in the in in the world of The Sims, probably. Uh, maybe. He's maybe. In, Anyways, let's, he's in a let's simulation. see what Mr. Let's see what he wrote. His first tip is to work backwards. So, he says, when selecting game mechanics, think about the experience your game is creating. Then work backwards to find the mechanic that will improve that experience. Sometimes that means borrowing a common mechanic from another game, and sometimes it means creating your own. Have you ever tried working backwards when you were doing, like, game design and working out the mechanics of a, of a game? Like, st- like, start at the end and then go backwards? I mean, it start with the mechanic and then work backwards no, from it entirely? No, 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 just... no, no. He's, he's saying, think about the experience that you're creating, and then you work backwards after you realize what you're trying to get to at the end. 
So, so like, you, you know what kind of game you want to build, and then you work backwards to get the mechanics that support that end goal. It's not a bad approach, absolutely. Um, because if you know, like, the experience and the desired outcome you have, then you can figure out ways to tailor the mechanics to fit that. You know? Sure. Sure. Okay. Like, me personally, since I don't design games myself, um... That is is a little bit of a foreign concept, but w I know that sometimes when I'll write, even when I'll write, I, I kind of start at what is the message or the resolution to this story before you even start figuring out what your characters and the basic concept of the thing is. Because you, you want to know that at the end, you're going to get the experience, you're going to get the message across that you were looking to get to. So yeah, you don't start a story and go, I don't know where it's going to end up. You kind of, I, I assume you don't, but anyways, some people um, might, <laughs> but like some you want to have might. an idea of the story overall and you have the, what your end goal is. And so you figure out how you want to get there. Right. You know? Right. Uh, it's the same thing when you're designing quests, I think in D and D or tabletop games, same thing as when you're designing mechanics for tabletop games or systems you want to add or make sure like i go i want to have a system where you can build stuff and make it easy so i work backwards well what do you need to build stuff i need the resources which mm -hmm. resources do i need so you kind of go all right being able to build things with this like a wood building you need this that and that how should you get it you kind of work just backwards like you're playing the game in reverse essentially right right i can understand that especially for um things that are like puzzles or mazes too I, I like every time I think about building a maze of my own. Uh, my first thought is you have to stop, start at the end, and you have to path your way backwards, and then work your maze out from there. Have you ever have you ever seen that? Where it's like you have a you have a hedge maze, right, or something like that, and you say, okay, what I'm going to start with is here's my endpoint, and I'm going to draw the path that gets me out of the maze. And then we just build everything out from that. So you know that you have a, a path that will take you there. And then everything else just expands out from that. But you've already completed your main goal. So so it's, it's something like that. Puzzle design, this is very helpful for. Uh, but just generally in your storytelling, uh, and this, of course, doesn't just apply to... Uh, video games, this applies to tabletop as well, uh, you want to create a certain experience with your system or your game, you're going to start there, and then you're going to work your way backwards to the steps that are going to get you there. So, perfectly good piece of advice that we don't really talk about very much. Um, number two, uh, study other mechanics. Always a good one. Uh, the best way to get good at using game mechanics is to start recognizing them in other games. Play games with an analytical mind, break each system down into its component parts, and eventually you'll see how many mechanics are shared across games and systems. I see you shaking your head. Yeah. Strive Sorry. to become a mechanic. <laughs> I'm not gonna play a game to anal uh, do an analysis of the mechanics, generally speaking. But you I don't enjoy doing that. But you would do that when you're playing tabletop games, wouldn't you? Like, you have uh, done that before. Only when I'm trying to figure out something. I'm not going to, like, play a game to dissect its mechanics. Although I do notice them and comment on them. It's not, like, I don't deep anal uh, do a deep analysis of them when I play it, because I'm not playing it for that reason. But, like, sure, I'll go, this is a weird system. 
Why is it that? It's kind of like, um, I think when we were talking about Neo, maybe? Oh, okay. I yeah. was like, this system is neat, because you can have high, low, and mid stance, and you can do different weapon combos in different ways, so it kind of gives you a variety of offense and defense, mm-hmm. and ways you can dish it out. And Certainly. play changes the play style, even within the one weapon set, for instance. Interesting mechanic. Did I do a deep analysis of it? No. I noticed it was a thing. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um... He, uh, he does, this last sentence, though, kind of goes to what you were saying, though, is strive to become a mechanics collector, gathering things from here and there that you'll eventually use in your own design. So in similar fashion, you know, where you see a system that's really interesting that stands out, you take note of that and say, yeah. oh, that would be interesting if it was put into this other thing, or if we uh-huh. used it here. Uh, you know, I'll see systems that I think are neat in, in existing ones. I, I think I've already talked about, like, Surge 2, which I went back and played recently, and that has that whole thing where, you know, it's a Souls-like and it has a lot of those mechanics, but then it also has that neat system where you can do finishing moves, cut off limbs, and get schematics for the pieces of armor and weaponry that the enemies used in the game, which is just a, a unique system that you didn't see elsewhere. Or in, in Lies of P, which I had been playing recently, where you can collect weapons, but they're separated between, like, the heads and the uh, shafts so that you can mix and match them so you can get different uh, effects that you can, you can utilize together. Um, these are just neat systems, and I suppose as long as it's not, like, the Nemesis system, which has uh, some legal... I guess it's not in as much legal hot water as it used to be <laughs> to use the Nemesis yeah, system. Not, not really sure what, what happened with uh, that, but probably because, still. Because they are using it for some other games, but as long as the as long as the mechanics aren't apparently, like, copywritten or trademarked, <laughs> I guess you can... I, you can still take from them, you just can't use them verbatim. That's true. Um, I think that what's interesting here, though, is like Will Wright is saying, playing games with an analytical mind. I don't necessarily think, like you were saying, that you have to play games with an analytical mind, but I do think that it's it's useful to be observant about specific things that you think are really interesting in games um, and, and how they interact with the systems. Because I, I will often, like, take a step back afterward and look at, like, why things worked or didn't work for me and say maybe it was because they implemented this or this or this and it would be cool to see that again and then you recognize it when you play another game and you see that that's in that system. So, yeah. uh, Number three, incorporate probability. Many game mechanics will use some form of probability or randomness. A simple dice roll is an example. Use randomness yeah. when you want to create interesting variability in play or add tension to a certain moment within your game. So it's, it's RNG stuff, basically. Uh, you know, you're, you're, I, I have a 20-sided die. Uh, how much probability, though? Serious question for you. How much probability do you actually want in your gaming? Depends on what you're doing. Okay. okay. Our, our default, it depends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Take a shot. 
in a shooting game, for instance, you probably don't want a lot of probability going on because right. if you're aiming your gun in the right spot, you don't want the bullet going over there yep. when it should be over here, for instance. Right. Probability uh, factor in that would come down to if there's any spread to your, your shots or recoil or something like that, I guess. <laughs> so you've got a cone that you're aiming in and you're whatever like a shotgun the probability to hit etc etc um dice rolls are fine it's usually not a giant pool sure for instance it's not like you're doing 1d100 um with a you know dice roll of a d20 for instance i would love to see a system where they're like attacks do like 1d100 damage and that's just for enemies and for you <laughs> and just yeah. see the wild I mean, swing like in rogue trader which i've been playing again uh because it came out um yeah. for instance that uses a d100 system but you're rolling under a percentile so it's not like you're rolling one to 100 and just take whatever number you get it's you're rolling 1d100 and you're taking under your score is a success. Under so if I have a, a 35, anything under a 35 is success. So it's not even bad. Hmm. You know? Um, so yeah, probably how much do you want? You want enough to make it interesting, I think? Sure, sure. But you don't want so much that it becomes unreliable for things you want to be right, reliable. Again, it, it, headshots it should not be probability, they should be skill. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's certain games where probability is just not going to work, uh, especially games that are about strategy. Uh, games like chess really can't have probability to them. They have to have very specific movement and function. Um, some puzzle games, or a lot of puzzle games, will actually not want to have probability. I don't need randomness when I'm trying to solve an actual puzzle with one specific uh, answer to it, which which may go a little bit into the idea of, like, uh, emergent or linear gameplay, which we're going to get into in a different segment, but uh, but I, I feel like that does depend heavily on what kind of game that you're building. For most games, though, it's perfectly fine to do so. I just wouldn't want to see probability in a game like, let's say, Super Mario, because when I bop the little Goomba on his head, I want to know that the Goomba is dead and not that I critically failed, fell over, and then the Goomba eats me. You know, that's... Yeah, that's not ideal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so maybe not great in all cases. Oh, okay. Moving on. Four. Don't reward randomness. Never... Yeah, see? Yeah. Never apply positive feedback to an element that is essentially random because that fools the player into thinking that they did something significant. Similarly, if you apply randomness to moments that are supposed to be precise and vital to success, the game begins to feel arbitrary. Instead, introduce small, mathematically simple elements of chance throughout your game. Those elements will play against one another and eventually present as game intelligence to the player. So what was the last one? Incorporating probability. Yeah, so you want probability, but don't reward randomness. Probability is randomness. This is true. Never applying positive feedback to an element that is essentially random. 
because that fools the player into thinking that they did something significant. Um, I guess the I, question... I feel like the last tip and this tip are at odds with each other. Let's, let's see if we can... Let's see if we can mesh these two ideas. Okay. So, probability, if we're talking about user input having a not necessarily firm output could be seen as what Wright is saying about incorporating probability. If he's talking about randomness in the idea of just random stuff that can happen uh, shouldn't necessarily be rewarded. I can almost see what he's talking about there, like, but but if you're adding in any of these elements, I think it's hard for that to work. Like, if I said, well, there's this giant hole in the ground in my landscape, and, uh, boy, if if one of the enemies, like, trips and falls and falls into the hole and then plummets 50 feet and dies, uh, that's kind of a reward it, for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess it really uh, comes down to what you're classifying as a reward for randomness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because random encounters in D&D, for instance, a lot of people don't necessarily like them these days. Some people still do. But if you have a random encounter and you survive the combat, you get experience. The experience is a reward for right. surviving and defeating the combat. Or if they drop any loot, for instance, that is a reward. Right. You've earned loot. Or even more, for instance, go back to the 3-5 uh, three days, if you're rolling on random loot tables and you roll high on the loot table, you know, there's probability, random chance of you getting a very cool epic item. Sure. If you use those tables. So, randomness can have rewards. Right. It, it, so, it just really depends on like, what you want to classify as a reward for randomness. Uh, opening a loot box. Randomness. Also reward. Also totally gambling addiction stuff. But that's not the point. Right. Maybe that's what he means by don't reward randomness. Uh, so, but, so, like, randomness can have a reward. I think it just should not be more tangible than a reward that you get from something satisfying. Right. Um, what, he, what he says in this piece is if you apply... Uh, randomness to moments that are supposed to be precise and vital to success, the game begins to feel arbitrary. So, I mean, we could say that maybe he's saying that there are places where pro in, you know, probability mechanics, random number generation works, and there are some places that need precision where that randomness is not going to work, but I don't think it's phrased very well between these two. This is a master class? <laughs> this is a master um, Well, to be fair, I, I even Ninja had design... a master class. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't talk about that. I want someone to do a game, a video game. It's a platformer, but every time you jump, the intensity of your jump varies on a scale between 1 and 100. Every gravity. Different. Gravity Random changes. jumping strength. Yeah, the gravity changes. Perfect. Yeah, essentially. So, well, I guess not gravity. Gravity stays the same. I mean, gravity could change too, but gravity stays the same. So the speed of your fall, always going to be the same. Speed of your jump, always going to be the same. The distance and power of your jump changes. So, sometimes you'll jump like this and go... Other times you go... Boom! I think it'd be hilarious trying this to do that. And this would be the randomness that you don't want to make for things that require precise... 
gameplay. Yes, yeah. Can you imagine if you introduced it a randomness or a probability to, like, a Mario game? Where they're trying to do these pr precise movements so that you can get to, like, the moon or the star or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's just like, nope, sorry, Mario trips. If you up. want randomness like that in your gameplay, uh, there are mods are mods for Skyrim that yeah. add in randomness. Hmm. I, I like and, everything randomized. And Skyrim wasn't random enough. <laughs> uh, well, it, it'll randomize enemies or loot. What everything beyond um, that, it, it's insane. Yeah, I think Spiffing Brit did a video on it. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So let's see how number five actually plays with the previous uh, points, because I feel like there might be a little bit of a push and pull here. Five, give players more control. Allow players to mitigate randomness in your game by giving them access to tools that influence probability. For example, if you're building a digital card game that relies on random draws, allow your player to build their own deck. If you're building a war game that detects hits and misses by using a probability table, let players add equipment that improves their probability. This way your player has control and agency over how randomness affects the game's state, and their failures won't feel arbitrary. Yeah, that just seems... like, basic. <laughs> that, that, that does seem basic. I mean, I guess, I guess this kind of plays into the not rewarding randomness only because the players are then going to have some control over that and will get better results. Yeah, but I guess the idea is that if the players have more control, that randomness, the probability of it gets mitigated because you're strategizing to sure. minimize it. Sure, it feels like it gets mitigated. It gives you better odds, but the inherent randomness of a dice roll means oh, that sure. it doesn't matter what your odds actually are unless they're 100%. Right, right. But, like, if you, if like, we'll go to D&D &D for a minute. If you're playing a fighter and you get the ability, I don't remember what it is, but it it increases your critical hit range. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like yeah. it doesn't just hit on a 20, it hits on a 19 or an 18. Mm -hmm. The randomness is still there, mm -hmm. but you have improved your odds of getting a critical hit because sure. of how you've built it and the player controls how they're building that. Sure. You feel like you have more of a chance to crit. Right. You technically have a better chance to crit. Yes. You have two of those numbers on the dice instead of just one. So right. instead of one in 20 chance, you have a two in 20 chance. You've doubled your odds, yes. You know, you doubled yeah. your odds. The fact that dice rolls are not based on prob you know, probability, like, actually, mm. and they are purely random, Sure, means that, yes, if you roll the dice 20 times, you might get two crits. Right. You might get 15 crits. Right. You might get zero crits. Right, right, right. And, and it is possible with random number generation... That that will happen regardless of whether you have increased your critical hit range or not. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's more likely to happen if right. you've done that work. So, maybe mm -hmm. it, so I guess in some ways, yes, you're giving players control, but there is a bit of a, the players feel like they have more control than anything else. It's the illusion of control. Randomness 100%. will do that. 
Which is why I enjoy dice mechanics, because you can give players things to adjust their odds, make them feel better, and make them strategize in certain ways that, yeah, they, they have a bit more of an edge, they have more chances to succeed than to fail now, but, again, the inherent thing with dice is that they're random. The inher right. inherent thing with any number system that's based on randomness means it doesn't matter if you have 99% chance of success, you have a 1% chance of failure, and you can fail often. Right. Right, right, right. Now, you, you know, your bell curve would suggest that the median outcome is most likely, but, uh, again, there is no there guarantee are always that. outliers. There's always going to be outliers. What was That's it? Right. There's a lady, I don't remember what game it was, she was playing, what, craps or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and what was that, you have to throw the dice? Yeah, a certain yeah. way? Yeah. And she, I think she went for, like, 600 rounds or something like that, winning. It was happens. something stupid insane. It happens. But it's like, the probability of this happening, she could have won oh, yeah. like the lottery like five or six times. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, that doesn't happen very often. Right, right. It's very uncommon to see, but theoretically can happen. Yeah. It's um, like the, the thing when they say, technically, to shuffle a, de a deck of cards the same way twice in a row, it has more a bigger set of odds than like the number of stars in the galaxy or something like that right right because you're shuffling 52 cards so you're doing like 52 by the 52 50 second yeah. power and of it's being like 100 percent. that that is really not likely to happen but could it happen randomly 100 percent. it could it, it could absolutely happen randomly. sure sure um the the thing i would say though like Will Wright mentions the digital card game uh, that relies on builds. I can see, though, like, if somebody said, I don't understand anything about the mechanics of, like, Magic the Gathering, and just put a bunch of random cards in there, there is a very likely possibility that there will be literally no way for them to actually play the game, because they will yeah. they will not have the lands or the, the ability to produce mana to even get cards out if they just, like, throw a bunch of random crap in there. Um, and so I can understand why you'd want to give your players a little bit more control, but once they understand the fundamentals of what the game does so that they yeah. know how to get control, otherwise you're just leaving them there with a, a blank slate and they're probably going to fail because they don't understand the basics. Um, but anyway... Well, those are, were the five points that were the basic tips that Will Wright gives for writing game mechanics. And um, I think that they're okay, but they do kind of contradict themselves a little bit. A little bit. Um, I think they're fine tips. They're very basic tips. Yes. To anyone that's been looking into game design, I feel like they would be like, well, yeah, that just makes sense. Sure, sure. Although, again, I maintain that the probability one and the randomness one are butting heads a little bit based on the fact that probability and randomness are both linked very heavily and both they are. just kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine that this, like I said, this is a Masterclass article that Will Wright had for, for his video series, I believe. And, um... So they're probably trying to take people from, like, 0 to 100. You know, they're, they're trying to take them from, like, the ground floor, not knowing anything. And it's probably 
pretty good advice for people that have no previous experience with this uh, as like a, a bit of a grounding. But I think just because we've talked about this for so long, we see where some of this can contradict itself and, and yeah. cause problems when when rubber hits the road. I'm sure it's fine to start out with because then people find out about it on their own when they when they start to implement this stuff. But um, overall, though, perfectly fine advice for newcomers, at least something for them to think about. Yeah. You know, uh, but at any rate... If you have thoughts about this, especially about probability and randomness, yes, let us know down in the comments below or on our Discord channel. And if you happen to know of another game designer that decided to do this exercise, <laughs> and you think their list was better, please let us know about that too. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd be perfectly happy to hear if, uh, if, if somebody else has has done a similar exercise. Just some basic writing tips. Maybe Ken Levine did. I'd like to listen to that. That'd be fun. There you go. Cool. Alex, you are still awake after our first course. Uh, so so I thought... Uh, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's getting drowsy. I gotta keep him alive. Hey, Alex, Alex. We, we, we got a second class. We got a second class. All right, we gotta let's go. go. To. Okay. I wanted let's to talk. Get this bread. <laughs> we are not playing I Am Bread. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, however, what I did want to talk a little bit about was linear versus emergent gameplay. Um, chances are, if you have played any game, whether it be in tabletop or video games, you have experienced uh, these two different types of gameplay. So mm -hmm. I thought I would talk a little bit about that today. Uh, now, the interesting thing is, I, uh, I started looking up, I wanted to find good examples, right, of uh, this linear versus emergent gameplay. And for some reason, the little AI assistant automatically starts typing away when I do that. <laughs> To, to say like here's a bunch of things we got we aggregated a bunch of information from a bunch of places um great thanks ai assistant that i'm never going to use myself and ultimately and this is maybe a gripe i have with the uh different ones that they have is they'll cite like four different sources but then you see that they've only earmarked like one of them for the entirety of the of it but anyway i figured these are perfectly f a few examples of the different kinds of gameplay that we can look at at least. So linear games, basically, Mario. Mario's a great example of that. There's a specific way that you go through that game that the developers want you to go through, and there's a point A to point B. There's a set path, uh, largely similar gameplay, uh, and then you you basically have those sort of games. I would say that Souls-likes in a lot of ways actually fall into this because there are specific pathways that you have to go down and then there are specific roadblocks that you have to pass in order to get to the next thing. Well, except for Elden Ring. Except for Elden Ring, which is probably more of the emergent gameplay we're going to get to in a second. Um, so, my Bing assistant... Yes, Bing. Yeah, sorry. That's why you're having issues. That is why I'm having issues. Has... Four examples that they give, and I'm going to take issue with one of them, but anyway. Uh, Half-Life 2, Halo 3, Mass Effect 2, 
and Plague Tale Requiem. These are... Okay, three of those are very similar games. Three of those are very similar games. One of these is not like the others. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so so for people who are not aware, uh, Half-Life 2 has a level progression. Ha- uh, Halo 3 has a level progression. Plague Tale Requiem has a level progression. Um, they pretty much go through uh, singular spaces where your goal is very straightforward. You kind of have to get from point A to point B, and you know how to do point A to point B through the pathing, yeah. and then you move on to the next one. Mass Effect 2 is an odd one to put into that. Um, and yeah, don't you have the ability to kind of go wherever you want, whenever you want in that one? I think what they're thinking of is that in Mass Effect 2, you have a set, like, quest line of, of different goals to do. It's mostly about collecting all of the people that are going to go on that suicide mission with you. So, mm. so you do have quests that are fairly linear, and loyalty quests that are fairly linear, and then there are beats between them that are the main mission, the main storyline pieces. But the game also uh, does allow you to move between different areas. Um, I think the reason why they would refer to it as linear versus emergent will become more apparent when we talk about emergent gameplay, but you do have options as to how you progress through the game, but the story beats are all there, where you you do have linear story pieces from one place to another. So I kind of understand that, but it's just odd to throw it in with the other three. I I think... Not that we're completely there yet. I think if you want to talk even better about linear versus emerging gameplay, we could talk about our love-hate relationship difference with a uh, certain brands of RPGs between the East and the West. You know what? We'll do that after I tell you what it generated for emerging okay. ones. And we'll, 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 okay. I think that will be a much better way to, to talk about this. But anyway, um, so emergent gameplay. Basically, this is a game design that allows for complex situations to emerge from the interaction of relatively simple game mechanics. Uh, let me see if I can uh, de-AI uh, that for you. Uh, basically, basically uh, mechanics that are set up in the game that the designer does not specifically think the player is going to utilize in the way that that's put into place. Um, and so they give, they give four. These are a more interesting set, I think. Deus Ex... System Shock, Minecraft, Dwarf Fortress. I would not consider Minecraft emergent gameplay. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, th- th- what emergent systems are there? Uh, that it, the sandbox itself allows people to create stuff that the designer themselves did not intend. It's a creative tool. It's not emerging gameplay. No. 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 Like, yeah, you can do whatever you want in it. You can build a functional phone in it. You can build a calculator that works in it, I guess. Right, But that's a building tool. It's not gameplay. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I can can understand that. That is me going into a game and building a working Game Boy that plays Pokemon Red. Yeah. Which they have done in Minecraft because Redstone, and you can make circuits, you can make full-ass circuit boards. 
people do it, but they do it in creative mode. It is no longer them playing the game the way it was intended. It is them using the tools in the game as a creative tool to build the things. So, so let's let's talk about Minecraft in the actual like story mode. Then, or or it's not the story mode. That's a different game entirely. But just the survival mode. In the, in the survival mode, something that it does do is allow you to build. Uh, things that the the designer would not have normally intended and use the systems like some some things can be set on fire some things can be flooded you can use different blocks to do different things and and the designers themselves don't necessarily suggest that that's how you move through the game the there's no suggestion for you to move through the game at all right right i could make a dirt house mhm and then build a wheat farm yeah and I'm good. That's all I do. <laughs> Perfect. That's all. That's the entire thing. That's how I want to play it. It's open end. It's it's open end to the point that you can do anything you want. There are no story beats you have to hit. There is no emergent story in the game. There's no quests unless you count Getting killing the, the end dragon as a quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ender dragon is like the big. But thing, the game but... doesn't tell you that you have to do it. Right, right. But that, that's that's sort of the point, though. You don't have a set goal in mind when you get into the yeah, game itself. It is a sandbox. It is a creative tool. It is You can use this game to express yourself however you would like. Right. I, but, so but that I, does I, sound kind of emergent. No, it sounds like a sandbox. <laughs> a lot of sandboxes can have emergent gameplay. Sure. But with linear elements... I mean, there, there, there are, are no linear elements in Minecraft. Okay. But if it's the, not... The only thing yeah. that I would consider a linear element in Minecraft would be going from wood to stone to iron to diamonds. The, the survival crafting mechanics. Yeah. That just the tool, tool making. Right, 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 right. Um, Deus Ex makes sense to me. Um even though it does have level progression, uh, because there are many different ways that you can actually address a situation, and a lot of them are probably not intended by the designer, because I know that if I have the right abilities, I can stack a bunch of boxes on the backside of the, the Statue of Liberty on Liberty Island, go up three different floors, bypass a bunch of things, and, uh, you know, the designers might have thought about that as a possibility but it was not specified that this is the kind of thing that I'm supposed to do and it's not the only way I can address the situation. I could shoot out all the cameras and go in guns blazing. I could stealth kill everybody on the island and and there's probably a lot of ways that I could do it that the, the designers didn't intend. Um, I have not played Dwarf Fortress so I can't really speak to that. I have. The issue with Dwarf Fortress to me is that uh, every there, there's no real tutorial that tells you things. It's very much in the vein of pre-Minecraft games that here you need a wiki article to play this. Right, right. And um, and I don't know if, uh, if it necessarily... I think that there's just a lot of randomness to Dwarf Fortress, so... Yes, from what I've seen, it's it's the emerging gameplay comes from the things that happen in the game, such as leaving beer out and the cat getting into the beer, and then the cat getting a beer addiction. 
Right, right, right. That's right. things that have happened. Uh, my um, Dwarf Fortress, sorry, this is on Minecraft, definitely has emerging gameplay because the things you do reflect on the things that happen from that. Okay. And vice versa. Okay. I see. So, so, if, so if I dig a wall, uh, and suddenly there's water on the other side of it, and I dig the wall out in Dwarf Fortress, it's gonna flood into my my caves or my home or whatever like that. Right. You know, the same thing. I guess the same thing would happen in Minecraft, in Minecraft. if you dig into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have a much faster reaction speed to that generally in Minecraft, whereas Dwarf Fortress is like, oh shit, oh shit, now I gotta tell the dwarves to build a wall there, and then they gotta come down here into this flooding chamber if they all didn't just die. Right, right. I mean, I guess what they're kind of suggesting here is that even though you can react faster to it, it does have an emergent element because when you interact with those systems, things might happen that the designers didn't intend. Even even if I can, you know, patch it quickly. You know, uh, Dwarf Fortress, obviously your decisions are going to have more severe consequences because you can't quickly adjust. Um, in Deus Ex, which, again, one of my favorite games, uh, in Deus Ex, the things I do in Chapter 1 are going to directly affect how things unfold in chapter 2, 3, 4, etc. Um, but it does have a bit of linearity because you move from one one mission to another, and there are specific goals that you have to achieve in mission 1, 2, and 3. I'm Until I figure out who the leader of... Until I deal with the leader of the organization at Liberty Island, I can't move on to the next the next chapter like that is a linear element in an otherwise emergent game so they do interact with each other they can interact with each other um but as you were saying maybe it makes sense a little bit more to talk about the east versus west kind of rpgs and how those function because i would normally say that the traditional and i I say traditional just because everyone's borrowed from everyone at this point but when you traditionally think of like a Japanese RPG, they do have fairly linear systems for progression. Yes, and very linear stories up to a specific, like generally like the first two-thirds of the game is pretty linear uh, for them. I've, I've played Final Fantasy thirteen. The first 30 That's hours literally are linear. very, very linear. Also, go check out that great video about the difference between Final Fantasy thirteen and ten. Great video forget who it's by sorry we'll we'll try to find it for you um it's a design doc maybe oh okay okay yeah Yeah. it was the linear gameplay and the difference in final fantasy 10 and 13 which are both 100 percent linear games up to like two-thirds in but they feel incredibly different oh yeah i'd be interested in that myself because um oh good you can find it and link it here later. Perfect. 13 um, was so linear to me, and the only reason why I stuck with it is because people said, you know, after 30 hours, it really opens up. And I was like, Ugh, okay, I'll stick sure. with it. After 30 hours, it opens up, but the 30 hours to get there are a slog. And what they don't tell you is that after you get through that 30 hours, it's just a big open hub where you have to grind out until you can just say, I want to do the end of the game now. <laughs> See the difference. You can watch the video. But I'll watch the difference. Ten, yeah. ten does essentially the same thing. Where yeah. the first thirty hours is 
fairly linear, but it's not literally a linear corridor. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, yes. it's very different environments. You get to explore the world. It is just you're going from place to place on a journey. You go watch the video. Uh, yeah. Tell me how you like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 10 was good. 10 was good. 13, yeah. I, I put down after like seven hours. Yeah. Uh, 15, I finished. 15 is the one I finished. So. 10, I have over 300 hours in. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 15, I actually finished. And 15 was good because from the outset, it actually is much more open. Like it, it starts very open well, that and allows one, yeah, you to go yeah. in different places. Yeah. Uh, but at yeah, any rate. So, and then. Yeah. Eastern RPGs. Eastern? Western RPGs. We're the West. Yeah. Depending where you are in the world, I guess we're the West. I guess so. Um, Western RPGs are typically a bit more open. Yes. Um, they're usually more open world RPGs, such as, uh, I'm sure you would say, Skyrim. Yeah, and it's not even that Skyrim is open. Uh, Skyrim creates systems, like they were talking about for emergent RPGs, that you may not use the way the designers intended, maybe because there were so many glitches you could exploit it in <laughs> Skyrim. Well, and the other thing with Skyrim, for instance, we're going to use that as an example, because it's sure, a very it's a good emergent one. game, honestly. Um there are ways to do quests that the game does not tell you you can do that you wouldn't think you can do, and if you don't try it, you're not going to know about it. Right. Nathan, you ever joined the Dark Brotherhood in Skyrim? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, which one of the people in that building did you murder so you could do it? Um, I don't remember. I don't think... Did sure. I? I don't think I did. Yeah, you, you have to, to oh. join it. You, you, you get kidnapped, and then... Probably you, the most uh, annoying one. Sure. There. Was it the was, so, was there the clown dude? I want to say maybe that. No, clown. that's in the in the Dark Brotherhood. Oh. So I'm talking about to join it. Astrid kidnaps oh. you and says you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All criminals, pick one of them. I don't remember to kill. I don't you know, remember which is the right one to kill. Doesn't matter which one, but you get three options, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know there's a fourth option? Oh, can you kill Astrid? You can kill Astrid. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what happens when you do this is it actually gets you on a quest chain to dismantle Dark Brotherhood. Yeah. yeah. Which is not something I've done. I've learned about it and been like, huh, I did not actually expect killing the assassin to be something you could do in that quest. Right, right, right. Because right. the quest says, hey, kill one of these people. And it's like, okay, well, you get an option of which of the three to kill. But the fourth option is sitting behind you, and you can still kill her. Right, right, right. Uh, in similar fashion, uh, I would say if I go to, um, like, Obsidian is a good example of this. You know, there are certain quest lines that you can do, and there are a couple different factions that you can usually do in those if we're looking at, like, Outer Worlds or um, Fallout New Vegas. There's usually a couple options, but then there's usually also other options that the game doesn't necessarily tell you about, and that maybe the designers didn't necessarily intend for, but they put the mechanics in place so that you could. Like, for instance, in New Vegas, you can kill everybody in that game, and you can still complete the game. Uh, you can eliminate all of the factions, basically, if you want to, and it is going to change the interaction that the game has with you. It is not something that the game says you should do. They usually try to discourage you from it, but they also account for the fact that you might actually want to do it. 
So, so I would consider that to be emergent gameplay because it's not necessarily what the developers intended me to do, but they provided the mechanics in order for me to do it. Skyrim is a really good example of that, though. I mean, after you get through that first, what I would think is a fairly linear section, which is where you're escaping from being decapitated and you, you get out into the world, uh, after that point, the world is sort of your oyster and the stuff that you run across is not necessarily in the normal course of play what you would run across. Uh, yeah. And, and I've had playthroughs that happen very, very differently. Oh, yes. And that's not even including mods like, uh, you know, Start Another Life, where you don't have to play as the Dragonborn. You can pick a different outlying, uh, you know, beginning. Yeah. Oh, I, I was like a sailor. Mod. Oh, I was a barbarian. I was yeah. a thief. Yeah. I you like know, that I'm mod no a longer lot. playing. Mm. Yeah. I'm no longer playing the, the Dragonborn. I'm playing a nomad. Yeah. A necromancer, even. Yeah. Western RPGs, when they started developing uh, those, took more of an idea of, like, the sandboxy sort of being able to go everywhere. More open world, and more options as to what you could do inside of that open world. Um, there's a certain... Like, Final Fantasy is always a good example of the traditional JRPG. There is a storyline that you really have to follow, and there are story beats and very long cutscenes that you're going to go through in order to tell that story. It's not as clear-cut in Western RPGs, and that's by design, I think, mostly because they're trying for a completely different experience for the user. In a lot of, like, the Final Fantasy games, for instance, you're embodying a character, and that character has a specific story that you're going through. In a lot of Western RPGs, you're creating a character, and you're building their story from playing the game. And it's yeah, not you're usually a pretty same. blank slate in the Western RPGs. Yeah. Uh, at least the open-ended ones, you are generally sure. a pretty blank slate. Pretty blank slate, yeah. So that's probably one of the best places uh, that, unfortunately, yes, my chat bot didn't necessarily give me any RPGs to, to go with. Good job, chat. This is why we don't use these things. Exactly, exactly. You hear that, AI? Yeah. Uh, you're useless just for the record when uh they gave me the examples of emergent gameplay the little chatbot every single one of its um reference points is from wikipedia <laughs> great source thanks Bing. <laughs> we came up with better examples than you did damn it anyway yeah. so uh just to kind of like cap this piece of the discussion off um Almost any game is going to have some linear and some emergent elements, I, I think, unless it is a really rigid system. Um, but yeah. what do you actually find yourself interacting with more positively? Um, I enjoy a bit of both, honestly. I enjoy Skyrim, for instance, as an example. I enjoy Fallout 4, though I've never finished it, because holy shit, I get bogged down every time. You never found I Sean? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I also really definitely used to. Don't know if I still do, but I enjoy like JRPGs, for instance. So linear <laughs> can do a world of good as well. Um, I think what I find myself 
missing these days are more linear RPGs and linear gameplay that drags you through the storyline like I used to play on the PS2 era console. Oh, sure. Because back in those days when the games were much smaller to fit on a disc, they had to have a compact story. You know, it could be a long story, but it had to be more compact. And it was a linear story that took you through it. And so Final Fantasy X, where I said I had 300 hours, it's because I enjoyed it. The thing I, the problem I have here with the open-ended games and the emergent gameplay aspect is that it is so open to the point that I do not have to interact with the story they are telling. Mm. So, for instance, right. I've played Skyrim several times. I've only beaten the main story once. Yes. And that was when I sat down and said, all right, I'm going to do the main storyline with the dragons and the main storyline with the Civil War. Yes. And that way I can say I've played the two major, I, I consider those the two major storylines yes, within the game. Mm -hmm. And I finally did it after probably 200 hours in the game or more, I would mm -hmm. say. Sure. Um, now, with a JRPG, it pulls you straight through it. Right. And I think that is, it used to be, at least, again, I don't play as much and I get bored of games super quickly these days. But yes. those ones pull you through the story. So they have a story they want to tell and they want you to fucking get the story out of the way. <laughs> yeah. They don't want you to sit there and dwaddle doing something else. Right. Right, right, right. So I, I enjoy both for different reasons. Yes. Um, it depends on, I guess, the mood I'm in when I'm gaming. Sure, sure. I find it difficult to have, to play games that are specifically, like, purely one or the other. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the reason is, is because emergent gameplay is a lot of fun because you just fuck around with the systems in a lot of ways and like kind of mm. try, try to outsmart the game itself you know and that's a lot of fun and it gives you a lot of player agency however if you only have a game that does that there's not enough structure for you to want to actually complete it or or really keep you going through the game and mm. so you need some linear elements of this is the mission you're going on that gets you to this next mission that gets you to this next mission. And if you have fully linear games where it's just like go from point A to point B, I don't find it interesting enough for me to want to play. Um, there's just not enough meat on the bones for me to want to, to go through it. Uh, so, so you kind of need to have a little bit of both. And if you aren't Maybe, like, I, I wouldn't even say, like, a little bit of both. I, I would say maybe, like, 70% emergent kind of gameplay elements and maybe 30% linear gameplay elements is, is good because mm. then you have enough spine to the game, but you really get to flesh it out as you're going through and, and play around with it. For me, that works, and uh, it's the reason why... Maybe it's the reason why certain, like, Metroidvanias and, like, that's one of my favorite genres and why I like, like, Immersive Sims because there is a linearity to those to some degree where you have to go through certain, you know, uh, you know points, but it also rewards exploration and, and trying new things and doing different things that, you know, are not necessarily spelled out for you. So, I like that. Uh, but I'm wondering... How everybody else feels. Uh, do you like emergent gameplay? Do you like linear gameplay? Uh, how do you want them to interact with each other? 
Uh, please tell us your thoughts on it in the comments down below or over on our Discord. We have a public Discord, too, if you want to check that out. Let us know what grinds your grind. Yes, fine. Grind, I don't know if that's considered emergent or linear. I feel like it's just bad. Alex, wake up. We got one more class, and then we gotta get out of here. School is longer than I remember. These classes are forever. Uh... But we want to talk a little bit about uh, an element of game design that I don't think we've really discussed on the show in any detail, which is about uh, short versus long-term goals. Yeah. yeah. Goal-making is not my hobby. No, it is not. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that we could probably talk about this in terms of video games, but I actually think that it's important when you're designing tabletop games more than anything. Um, because... Uh-huh. With with the uh, you know the the length of sessions that you'll go through and the length of campaigns, being able to set up long and short term goals is pretty impressive and important. Um, yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about what those are. So your short term goals are pretty straightforward. If I'm talking about like chess, it's about capturing a piece. I have mm. one piece on the board and I need to capture it. If we're talking about a tabletop game, it might be I need to win this, uh, you know, governor over and uh, and get him to see things my way. I need to get enough money to buy the new sword. I, you know, these are these are. I feel like for tabletop, short term goals should probably be ones that you can. You know, accomplish in like one or two sessions. One or two sessions, and a lot of times those short-term goals are going to have to be in league with the um, players themselves. Like the players are almost mm. going to have to set those up to some degree. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the storyline, some of those short-term goals are the little steps that you have to take in order to complete larger quest lines. Um, and being able to dole those out at a regular interval is really important to keep player engagement. The, the long-term goals are the overarching things that you're trying to accomplish, uh, which is either the quest lines themselves or eventually the overall campaigns that you are on. Um, and so you can have multiple long-term goals. You can have the main overarching one and then ones that go over several different like story arcs that come to a completion. So, for instance, uh, we'll use the game that we were playing uh, where I was Max, uh, those have these individual cards. Um, was it Icepire Peak? I want to say it was Icepire Peak was the module. So. In in that one, yeah. they they give you basically like these individual cards that are quests that you're going on. Completion of those individual cards is more of a long-term goal because you're going over multiple sessions. But the steps that you're taking to get there and the obstacles you're overcoming are more short-term goals you have to complete. And then there's a longer-term goal, which is that you have to defeat a dragon at the end. Um, Which those... I would say the quests are shorter-term goals. I mean, we were taking multiple sessions to do them, but I feel like they were shorter-term goals. Okay. So in, in some ways, I think maybe we're... Maybe there's even more categories. You have like the micro term and the short term, <laughs> and then immediate goals, short term and long. term. Exactly the blink the blink term goals, which is the things that you are doing. You know, 
uh, you you get into a combat. Completing and the combat and defeating your enemy is is a short-term like goal. We don't need to make really, really. I don't think we need to make micro goals. We don't need to make survive micro goals. the combat. Survive the combat. Good goal. Good goal. Um, but that really just mostly plays into the idea of uh, giving enough rewards to the players, or you know, providing them with something to do both in the short term and in the long term. And theoretically, when I was looking through this, a lot of designers will talk about creating a mix of these so that those short-term goals will eventually merge into something larger. Uh, that all of these goals that you're trying to complete will eventually go into the long-term goals. Uh, which, if we look at Ice Spire Peak, like you were saying, those individual missions... Uh, inform the players of the world, but also give them the means necessary to complete a larger and more difficult set of goals that uh, then lead to a larger set of goals, etc. Like you have, you have a a uh, a goal pyramid. <laughs> You've created a goal pyramid, goal a golemid, exactly. This Golemid we've created has a foundation of small things that you have to achieve that lead to larger things, larger things, and eventually the apex at the top of your Golemid is indeed the, the end of the campaign, is, is like the overarching goal of the campaign that you need to achieve. Um, now, my question for you is, uh, how often do we really need to be able to uh, create and resolve something like a, a goal as a general rule, like if we're talking about short-term goals. Oh boy, you're how, asking me how often I need to make goals? Uh, you're the wrong person to ask for this, aren't uh, you? I'm the wrong person to ask for this. Uh, okay, so... I don't I don't make goals, Nathan. No, you... you okay, well, then here's, here's the thing. Do you expect the players to make goals for if themselves? you've talked about that being a thing in your game sure okay okay i feel like if you set the expectations especially if you're doing like a milestone exp for instance in DD, then setting goals is a good thing because you can go all right what are the things your character wants to accomplish mm -hmm. or you want to accomplish with your character if you'd rather do it that way so mm. these are some short-term goals for what your character wants to try to do and then your long-term goals of what you want to get done, like, later on down the road. Right. Is it appropriate to talk to players about how these short-term goals they want to complete are going to go into the larger narrative? And it, it... I, I feel like that should be fine, unless it involves them knowing things they shouldn't know. Okay, so, like, I, I guess here's my scenario. I have my players in front of me. And I'm, I'm running the game, and I know where the game is going to go, and I know the, the general things that they want to do, or, or that they should be doing for the quest that they're on. And then the player goes, uh, I want to get some new slacks. I just want to get, I got, I, I got to get new tights. And you say, uh, okay, so you're going to get new tights, but how is that going to like how how does that actually relate to the quest that we're that we're on what do, what what are you going to get out of it it doesn't necessarily have to relate directly One but i'd charisma. like to know <laughs> i'd like to at least know 
if this is something directly related to the quest lines or if this is a character related thing or how this is going to play in and I do worry that that might be a little bit metagaming because it's like kind of like talking outside of the the character interactions themselves. Yeah, I think I mean a little bit of metagaming can be okay. Yeah. When it's not a lot of metagaming and sure. when it's not like going to influence the game itself really badly or anything like that. It really it really depends on the type of metagaming. Most people would sure. say that knowing the weaknesses of your boss that you're gonna fight that you shouldn't know in game is is bad metagaming, but like just knowing where your characters want to where your players want to take your characters is good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel it's not metagaming if it's knowledge that the GM would would need to know to account for. So we can say like you know you mentioned the weaknesses of bosses. So you could say that maybe the players have a short term goal of uncovering what the weaknesses of the boss are. And your longer-term sure. goal is defeating the boss. So if they set that as a short-term goal, how much time do we really want to devote to that to determine if they succeed or fail? Like, Is that like a one- or two-session thing where maybe they're, they're trying to come up with that knowledge? Or... That doesn't... That could be a long... That could be a, a longer-term goal if it, the taking that boss guy down is like a very long like the end of campaign goal, then sure. Right. We're halfway maybe up the goal limit. Yeah, maybe there is a complex web of things you need to do to learn that weakness. Okay. It could be several short goals long. Sure. Sure. And and that's the thing, is that I imagine short-term goals being things where you would have to stack several of them up in order to complete something that's more of a long-term goal. Thinking about this, so like Breath of the Wild, good example of this, is that you, you have a long-term goal. Ganon is a problem. You have to defeat Ganon. Maybe a short-term goal if you want to go beeline for Ganon. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would still say it's a long-term goal because it's the overarching thing that you're supposed to achieve in the game. Sure. But, but... But if you want to play the game and just beeline straight for Ganon with your wooden stick, you can you can do it. <laughs> Good luck, but yeah. People, people have done it. People have. People who are insane have done that. Um, yeah. But if you put in a bunch of short-term goals that are going to help you complete it, you might find that the long-term goal is easier to manage, or it's easier to understand what your long-term goal is, uh, because especially in role-playing games, you might not actually know what your long-term goal is, and those short-term ones can help you. That does kind of get back to my whole uh, question about, like, how many and how often do we need to start setting and resolving those shorter goals to keep player engagement and I know what your answer is going to be it depends <laughs> it depends I don't do a lot of goal setting ever in life I've never done any goal setting so like <laughs> me answering that is not an easy e- right. easy ask <laughs> certainly yeah no I understand um, I usually will wake up with a set of goals that I will probably not achieve, but I guess it is for a longer-term thing in the game of life, which, you know, maybe we shouldn't... The gamification of life is a whole other subject to talk about at some point, but but the... Um, but I guess, yeah, in some ways, our lives are about, like, creating short-term and long-term goals just, like, outside of gaming itself. You know, uh, we we will set up short term goals about like, well, 
I gotta put on my pants. And that that is sometimes that's a hard my pants. sometimes that's a hard goal. You know, you're just like it going definitely. Why do I have to do that? And yet we do have to do it because if you don't complete those short term goals, your long term goal of going out to a shop is going to be much trickier for you if you haven't yeah, completed a little bit, it. A little bit harder as a treat. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that are going. You didn't complete those short term goals. Now you're walking around without pants in the store. That's not good. When I'm doing workflow too, I will kind of have, okay, I need to record, I need to edit, I need to, I, I like, I need to do these steps in order to achieve my long term goal. And my long term goal is that I produce uh, a podcast and I produce uh, a video, and um, and that's going to lead into a larger thing. So, in some ways, the human brain is naturally set up so that it can, you know, handle short versus long term progression systems but it can be very easy to forget that we need to do that in games uh, because that is something that people are going to if you just said here's here's the long-term goal don't worry about the short terms it's going to be harder for players to engage with the system because it's this long span of not really achieving anything specific um, so, you know, you could still have your combats, you could still have all of that stuff, but the completion of a goal is that dopamine that gets you saying, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in it. I'm still in yeah. it. And I have something larger that I'm trying to accomplish, and I've, I've achieved something towards it. Yeah, it would be wonderful if I could set goals so I could get that dopamine hit from completing goals. That's right, right. And the more difficult a task... The better Setting it goals is. is the today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna set the goals to set goals. Your long-term uh, goal is to set a bunch TLDR. of short-term goals. Yeah, I, I, I guess some people with ADHD actually have to like plan time to plan time. Yeah. Or set goals to set goals, for instance. And it's like that's a thing. <laughs> We're got y- You know what? It's the goal amid. It's our goal amid. The bottom, the bottom rung of the goal amid is goal setting, as it's, a goal. Exactly, it's a goal. And if you if you do goal setting, if you say I'm going to do goal setting, you've automatically won. There's something. No, you don't. Because I don't fall through with that shit. Then you anyway. failed entirely. <laughs> okay. Welcome um, to my life. As we approach the end of the year, though, it's probably a good time to talk about some goal setting. So if you have goals that you are hoping to achieve in the new year, let us know whether they be short term or long term. Or if you have a whole goal limit. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. Every time we say goal limit, I think of a golem and and id. So it's like the base preternatural sensory of golems. It's like a golem with like a triforce in it, but it's just a, a pyramid of goals. Pyramid of golems. <laughs> golem pyramid, yeah. Golem Great. pyramid, yeah. Just golems all the way down. Alright, everybody. This has been our master class. On uh, game design, I don't think that's this true. This has been our episode on doing episodes. This has been our TED talk about doing TED talks. Perfect. I'm here for it. 
Alex, if uh, folks wanted to find out more about our other master classes that we've done, where could they go? Oh dear, uh, somewhere else. You can go to totalpebbleknockdown.com where we have all of our stuff um, posted up there and all of our links and all that good stuff up there. Yeah, all of the good stuff. You can also check out our Patreon and uh, see early episodes of the show as well as some of the bonus content that we cut out of the show. So check us out over there. You can find us on every podcast app known to mankind. Please rate and review and subscribe where it is necessary. And you can also find us on the ever-increasing wasteland that is social media. I am at Titanium. I am tired from this class, but I am EXP Limited, and our show is at Pebble Knockdown. Well, I I hope uh, I, I hope you get some sleep, uh, some rest up for the test that I'm gonna give you tomorrow. Ooh, I'm good at testing. There's gonna be a pop quiz that I'm telling you about now. Open oh, secret. Great, great, great. Mm. So goal setting bad, studying bad, but man, do I pass tests? Yes, there you go. That's you didn't even need to set a goal, you just passed it. Yeah. Perfect. The goal was a hundred and I got ninety-nine close enough. Have you ever completed a game and it'd be like, oh yeah, you got ninety-nine percent of the stuff done, you missed like one like audio file or something, and you're like, oh no. no. I don't I don't care about presenting games. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since Assassin's Creed 2, I stopped caring about it. I'm not collecting yeah, 200 games feathers. Games are so, so big these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is just like, eh, no, I don't care. Like, as long as I get the story done, it's like, whatever. If I want to try to 100% it some other... Like, with, with Nier Automata, where it's got, what, 50, 100 endings? No, it, it has uh, however many letters are in the alphabet. 26 endings? I'm not going to go endings. for 26 endings. Most of them are gags, anyway. Yeah, I'm not spending the time to do that. There, there are five actual endings. Yeah. That's all that matters. Until next time, folks, thank you for coming to our class. Uh, and um, Don't expect another one. School's no. closed. No, this was episode 101. That's it. 102, something completely different. Sorry. The school is closed. We lost all funding. It turned out to be um, a, a Golamid scheme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Please do not break into the classroom of school. No. Bad idea. No cheat sheets either. Sorry. Before we get into some basic concepts, Alex, I uh, wanted to talk about some uh, writing... Bleh. That's what Writing I wanted blah. to do. Writing Blair goes to the outtakes. Blair. <laughs> uh, have you tried the uh, mod where it lets you play as the Obsidian Knight? That's a fun one. Probably. Mm-hmm. That's that's fun. You get his armor and everything, but that's okay. I've seen some games that shouldn't be played for like six hundred hours that are so. Rookie clicker. I know. I saw a uh, I saw a review for like Baldur's Gate three that was like it's oh, o- it's okay. I got bitten by a vampire and my life has never been the same. And it, 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 they had like 600 hours in the game. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I saw that one. Yeah.